0: Welcome awesome listeners to the New Nudist Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Klein. This is the podcast for people curious about the nudism and naturism way of life. If you've been thinking about trying out nudism, if it's been a bucket list thing for you, then this is the podcast designed to give you what you need to know in order to try it out. If you're already a nudist, this show is for you too. We hope you'll get more out of the movement and get more out of your nudist practice. Hey nudies, it is March and we are starting to see signs of nudie season just around the corner. And even as the pandemic continues, there will be opportunities for us to be socially nude in responsible ways. And we're just gonna have to get creative and be flexible. So in today's show, we're gonna hear from Mandy. She's a nudist, naturist, nudie, whatever you wanna call it, in the Seattle area who started the Skinny Dippers Club, a non-landed nudist club. We'll hear about her journey to nudism and how she came to found Skinny Dippers. We'll also hear Evan Nix's interview with Sarah Schrank, professor of history at California State University, Long Beach, and author of the book Free and Natural, Nudity and the American Cult of the Body. Then for Nude in the News today, we'll hear an article on medium.com, my parents are nudists learning about body confidence, living in a nudist community where the author says she learns about body positivity and freedom in ways she never expected. All of this coming up next in Lucky Episode 13 of the New Nudist Podcast. Stick around. Hey, everyone. I hope you are doing well out there as we get closer and closer to being able to be nude outside. Although, my Canadian listeners, I'm sure you are rolling your eyes right now saying, hey, dude, we have been there already for a while. And you guys are completely hardcore, and my hat is off to you. You know, I live in uh, Southern California, and uh, Dan Carlson from the Meandering Naturist blog, if you haven't checked out the blog, check out Meandering Naturist. And, uh, you know, we've been talking about getting together early this week and uh, to do some nudie hiking, and it's going to be like in the early, low 60s. I don't know. Yeah, we're gonna, we'll do it. We'll do it just because, you know, it's nudie hiking outside, but it's a little 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 chilly. And uh, again, I'm sure Canadians are going, wow, that's, that's completely lame. But wherever you are listening right now, I hope that you're able to practice some form of nudism or naturism in the ways that are available to you. This could include uh, checking connecting with other like-minded individuals, either virtually or in person, through a non-landed naturist club. And uh, simply put, a non-landed club is, is a club of, of individuals who don't have necessarily a a place where they uh, have a membership to. So um, it's a great way to stay in touch with fellow nudies and also to get to know people uh, before your first in-person socially nude experience. I recently got to know uh, Mandy Zalinka. She's the founder of the Skinny Dippers Club. It's a non-landed nature's club. And I enjoyed our interaction so much that I asked her to be on the show. And I think you'll enjoy hearing from her too. Here is my interview with Mandy. Mandy, thank you for joining us on the new Nudist podcast. Thank today. you for having me. So, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Uh, my name is Mandy Zelinka, and I currently reside at Tiger Mountain Family and Nudist park in issaquah washington which is about 45 minutes outside of seattle depending on traffic and in the fall of 2019 my husband and i decided to ditch our swanky mid-century modern beautiful apartment in west seattle
0: oh <laughs>
1: it costs 2400 dollars a month though so i, do, I don't like that. yeah uh, and we traded that in for an rv in the woods which is something i never thought i would do and it's not because living in an RV for me is weird or even living in the woods is weird. It's just like, you know, that's kind of an aspect of camping that I didn't really like growing up.
0: <laughs> sure, sure. Just, and now you get it every exactly.
1: day. There's a lot of mud that is involved with um, this sort of lifestyle. But you also get like. Un, unlimited fresh air from the trees and unlimited, you know, spring water and this beautiful view at night because you're nestled in the middle of the woods. So, I mean, you know, for a girl that really likes high speed Internet.
0: <laughs> yeah, it can be a little challenging.
1: Yeah, but the the things that offset it that help with like mental health and all of those other things that come with it have just it's been really a, a treat and an interesting experience to just like dive into this lifestyle and see what it's all about. And it's been a little bizarre.
0: <laughs> well, you, you know, certainly living at a park that's going full on, oh, yeah, I don't uh, you know, in, into that way of life. No, no, that's, <laughs> that is not timidness. Tell us. So, so once you start from the beginning, tell us about your nudist journey. And um, first of all, do you, Think of yourself as a nudist or naturist or naturist or what do you think of yourself as? Or do you just,
1: even I think of as I think a, I'm just a full-on skinny dipper, and I say that because just last week Drew Barrymore had this quote about how. Well, first of all, who doesn't like love Drew Barrymore? I mean, she's it's hard not hard to not like to. her, right? And so she's talking about how she just loves to throw off her clothes and go skinny dipping with her her children or her girlfriends and i was just like that is the embodiment of how i feel about this you know whole running around without pants on thing it's really for me it's just the freedom to 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 be free and just run and jump in the water with no clothes and it's been interesting to get to know this community on a deeper level because so many people have so Mm -hmm. many ideas about what it is which is part of why we started our podcast on it because i'm like okay naturism or naturism or nudism I mean, something completely different to everyone. And I think it's been fascinating to find that out. But um, how I got started with it, I, you know, now that I think about it, I I used to always clean my house naked just for the sheer fact that I'm going to get those clothes dirty. Why do I want to wash them? And sure. when I had the opportunity to have, you know, like, a, I think I had a Stairmaster in my bedroom or in my living room, this ridiculous flat screen TV and a DVR. And so... I would work out naked in my living room. It just seemed normal. I didn't think of that as being like a nudist or naturist or anything like that. But um, I was, I've, I'm was i a lifelong entrepreneur, and I was so burnt out a few years back that my husband completely convinced me to go to a clothing optional boutique nudist hotel because he, he knew I wouldn't say no. <laughs> <laughs> and,
0: now, did he have sort of a nudist background?
1: Um, he had he had a nudist background as a kid in boy scouts and just, you know, being a boy. Sure. Um, but he, he found it again, middle-aged as well, going through, if you want to call it a midlife crisis, or, you know, a, a reawakening of oneself, whatever you want to call it.
0: Let's uh, let's I like the <laughs> okay. one. let's
1: go with the second one. And so he actually, I had been doing a lot of, um, work online cause I was, I taught marketing and branding and, courses, um, and Instagram and all the good stuff. And so he was teaching online. I had a lot of Facebook groups going on at the time. And so he was like, I'm going to jump into a few nudism, you know, Facebook groups in the area and see what I can find. And, you know, now I've found out through some members of our community that meetup is a really great way to do that. And now we have yeah. that option as well inside of our community, but, you know, at the time that's how he, found his nude group of friends so he had already been doing it for a year or two when he invited me to go and so i was like okay he's he's basically sussed out the situation on all of this it's he wouldn't be asking me to do it if it wasn't safe and i totally enjoyed myself
0: <laughs> <laughs> tell me about the first time you did it like you were first time you were socially new um, with people other it
1: than was your pretty simple like and and it was the environment for me like I'm very much about Palm Springs, warm weather, weather, palm trees, you know, that's, that's my zone. So I was in my zone with my, my people, which apparently are nudists, (laughs) which is not surprising that like (laughs) my friends would love to run around without pants on because my mom was more surprised that I was camping than the fact that I was running around naked. So.
0: Oh, okay. (laughs) All right. So that, that wasn't too off no, brand for you. Not
1: at all. I, I was like voted most okay. unique in high school. My stepkids are like, of course, that's totally something Mandy would do. You know, it's not surprising, but. You
0: know, it is interesting when you learn that your tribe are nudists. It's um, not surprising, it's, it's, though,
1: because I was a hairdresser for two decades. And okay. Everybody has a hairdresser they love, everybody has a Mandy they love. So it's like, you know. Hairdressers are always in the, the, of course, they're they would be in alignment with skinny dippers, right? Like, they're all sure. status quo disruptors. So, you know, now that I think about it, it, totally makes sense, right? So, we're at this wonderful pool in one of my favorite cities, relaxing, and I'm the only one wearing a bikini. And by day three, I finally realized, like, the only person that cares about this effing bikini is me. Like, who am I? Fucking? And yeah. it's ninety degrees. I want to get in the pool. <laughs> and, <you>
0: know, <laughs> yeah. Did, 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 is is you know? I, I talk to a lot of women who kind of have very similar situations. They start off with a bikini, hang in there, and, and there's a moment where they just say, "That's it." Uh, you know. And, and do you remember that was there was that moment? Well, for Part you, right?
1: of it was it was dusk. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. <I'm a> <laughs> so we'll start off with some good yeah, I lighting. Like, I'm okay. The
1: sun to go down a little bit, and then I'm going to Sure. Um, sure.
0: Yeah. That oh, I, I get that. You feel a little yeah, less. Exposed.
1: But it's helpful because when you're in the right place with the right people, all the people were so supportive and friendly, and they were all instead of looking at me like, "Why are you wearing a bikini?" They were looking at me like with these kind eyes, like, "Okay, this is new for her. Mm. I don't experience that yeah. at, at nude camps." or nude parks or nudist parks in the States. I've only experienced like shame for wearing a bikini. And so part of that's part of what draws me to clothing optional. Cause it's, I find that it's more my people, the more laid back, less rules. I feel like this whole movement is about body autonomy. Yet some places are trying to tell you what to wear and what not to wear. So it's very confusing to me.
2: Um, mm-hmm. and, and
1: some of them, I like, I understand why they have those roles. I absolutely do. But, um, I just find for being able to have more people like they feel like they belong, less judgment is always helpful. And I find that there's less judgment with clothing optional. Um, and I just have always had better experiences with those. And that's part of what has been guiding me with Skinny Dippers Club, because there are so many people that are nudist or naturist or naturist and their partners aren't. And I totally understand why they aren't. Um, because for many years I wasn't and my partner was, but if you can do it in a safe environment with someone who knows the ropes, who helps you feel comfortable and like you belong and all of those things, it's a wonderful experience. And I want people to be able to experience that more, but you can't do that unless you have a safe environment for those people to do so. And so that's why for me, safety with skinny Dippers club is so important to me because I want those people that are in our community that want their partners to join, I want them to feel safe doing so, and I don't think that's the norm right now.
0: Yeah, let's. I want to come back to Skinny Dipper's Club and, and talk a little bit about that. But when you when you finally got that bikini <laughs> off and you and you went in the pool, how how did it feel?
1: It was one of the most wonderful feelings of my entire life. It was so freeing. It it felt like when you're at that age before you're a kid before like any of your parts get too big there's no hair you know just everyone is just yeah free to run around naked because it doesn't matter and it actually reminded me of when i was a kid all of the kids on my block were boys and i was so pissed because i never wanted to wear a shirt because it was hollow and i was little mm-hmm. i didn't have any boobies you know and yeah, my mom was yeah. like you can't go outside and play football without a shirt with all the neighborhood boys. And it actually brought me back to that moment of like, Oh, I don't think I've ever really wanted to put clothes on. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it, it, it awoken you to, uh, uh awakened you to, yeah, to you and really I, were,
1: I right? think that happens with a lot of yeah. people. And Jeremy and I were talking about the other day that. yes, And Jeremy's your and, husband. Um, how, yeah. you know, how much of, putting clothes on is just for habit, you know? Like how much is that, Mm. it started as a kid, like you get dressed before you leave your room or whatever, you know? And, you know, I think part of, at least what I've noticed because we're empty nesters, we don't have kids in the house. I've seen more and more people like, you know, discover that they're nudists or naturists or whatever, you know, when their kids leave, because you look around and you're like, oh, I don't have to cover up because my kids are here. You know, if you've been conditioned to do so. And I certainly sure. was because they were my stepchildren. I'm not just going to be passed out naked around, you know, these new kids. So, you know, I I think that home nudism is a fantastic gateway drug.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I I completely agree, and I think you know we're seeing more yeah, and more of that. Absolutely. Right so you're in the pool in Palm Springs, and did you know at that moment that this would not be the last time that you? did social nudity or were you just sort of oh
1: i knew i was coming back to tuscany manor that place absolutely okay. the people the the community that they have cultivated there of just like all shades of nudists like you have every shade of nudist when you go there and it's cool it's like everyone hanging out and it's cool it's not weird everyone just respects that each other's having a good time and yeah i mean who doesn't want to lay naked by a pool and read a book if you like need some introvert time? I mean,
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. I,
1: I, that's, yes. That's, that's what I, I, Jeremy, you know, and other people will be like, I, I enjoy the hiking aspect or the this or that. And mine is always like sure being left alone naked by the pool to read a book.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Did you did you come away from that experience feeling any different about your body?
1: Yeah, which is another interesting thing that I think about all the time. You know, women have such and men too. I, everyone everyone men everyone too. um has body positivity issues for the most part. And so it's interesting because I find that like running around in a bikini isn't a big deal anymore and It's just like, what was a big, what used to seem like such a big deal is not a big deal anymore. And, you know, besides the fact, most of us grew up, most of us older people, because young people grew up with internet and more varied um, shapes and sizes of people. I think, you know, I feel like the body positivity movement from, you know, at least from the female sector that I've seen, and now I see it coming more into everyone else it's been going on for a few years, so you know that's kind of been a thing for a while but um shit, I forgot what question would you ask me <laughs>
0: <laughs> no did you did you feel differently oh, yeah, about yeah. your body um after so, that experience yeah. i've
1: always been a I've always been a really body positive person, but what I found most interesting. And, and I know this gets talked about a lot because you grew up with you typically grow up with what you see in magazines or online or whatever. When you see real people sure. in a person, it is a completely different ballgame of what people actually look yeah. like. And, you know, when you start seeing people's surgical scars and, you know, tattoos in some of the most interesting places and, you know, all the myriad of th- of, like I have a birthmark I don't even think about, but I when I run around naked, everyone sees it. And it's not a big deal, but it's just like nobody has the perfect fucking body. Just take the clothes off and hang out. <laughs>
0: yeah. 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 And that's a freeing moment, I think, when when you get to that moment where Absolutely. you realize that. That really it's not like a Victoria's secret shoot. Um and even A Victoria's Secret shoot isn't really a, Victoria, you know, isn't, isn't reality.
1: Probably like,
0: well, they're starving, they're airbrushed, all of that, you know, so there's all of this, but yeah, you're right. You know, when you see actual human bodies uh, of all shapes and sizes, it, it does.
1: It gives you a perspective that you don't ever get unless you engage in that activity.
0: Yeah. Did you regret it at all for a single moment?
1: Only because I was ducking out on some responsibility I I should have been doing to do it. But I was so burnt out. I couldn't actually do the thing I was. So I was supposed to speak at this thing Uh, called Alt Summit, which is a really prestigious thing for creative entrepreneurs. And it's not like me to drop the ball on things. And so I knew going into it, if I was not doing something that was so important to me, that it was going to be a turning point in my life. I just, I didn't know what it meant yet. And yeah. <laughs> now that I understand the <laughs> mental health aspects of this, um, <laughs> you know, for people that are overwhelmed, it's great. <laughs>
0: yeah. You know, and that's one of the things that I don't think we talk enough about uh, is sort of the mental health aspects of it. What is, What does that mean to you? And what So I think the
1: most profound you? thing that I have gone through um, is... I have I have ADHD and anxiety and so being in nature has calmed me down to a level I have I have never known <laughs> like I I played three sports growing up so I, and and I was in school and I worked on the weekends so was, I'm just so busy always getting that like ADHD energy out but I realized that when I'm here it's more focused energy and it's not so chaotic um Mm. things as simple as when we lived in seattle we were woken up at like 5 a.m by either the dump truck or the bus going by and i literally wake up to birds (laughs) it's just calm (laughs) and quiet and just like lovely and it's had a live i mean it's people have an this effect happen to them when they when they do it on the weekends but you know when when you're living like that every day in the side of a mountain without like that kind of disturbance it's yeah it's really an an entirely different experience and you know I'm I'm totally a city girl like I'm I'm I always have my phone on me I'm a laptop girl my husband has two phones on him laptop guy and so to be able to just put those down and go cut firewood (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's really a treat. <laughs> and then to be able to like yeah. be like, let's go do this. I don't want to put pants on, like, it's the coolest thing ever.
0: <laughs> it yeah. <laughs> I am with you. Tell us so from there, uh, what what did you know, you're in Palm Springs, you're in the pool, all that. So what what did you do after that? How did you kind of keep that well, it's going? It's
1: interesting because I've I've always like documented my life because I'm just so excited to have this device that takes photos and videos. And so I had videoed our whole trip and then I made it a whole like YouTube show. And then, um, (laughs) it was, I think almost exactly a year ago, I was sitting in my car. It just been laid off prior. It was like two weeks prior to the pandemic really hitting it. And, um, I was sitting there in the car listening, and this local radio show was like, oh, my God, there's people cooking in the nude in New York. Oh, ha, 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 ha. Well, if you know any nude people, give us a call. We'd love to have you on our show. And I was like, oh, my God. So <laughs> I, I get on their show, and prior to being on their show, I sent them the recording of our entire trip when we were there.
0: Oh, and
1: wow. And I had titled it The Difference Between... I think naturess clothing optional and swingers because I'm not stupid. Like I, I wanted to give it a title that they would watch. And so they did an excellent job of asking questions. It was a great discussion, (laughs) but, um, what, what came out of that trip though was just, I really fell in love with the community and I fell in love with the community so hard that I wanted that at my fingertips. And that's really what started The impetus for Skinny Dippers Club, because I just, I, you know, when you get the right people in the right scenario with the right weather, (laughs) Mm. you know, you just, don't you want summer as long as you can grab it and like,
0: (laughs) yes, yes. That's yes. why I live in so Southern if California. You, yes, if you don't exactly. have
1: access to that yeah. or if you don't have access to nude beaches close by for your friends, like you still want access to nude people, not because they're nude, but because of how they think about things and, you know, and, and how they act and how they just like, they're just status quo disruptors and like, you know, fight the power and because they're running around naked. Like that's a statement, you know, that's a political statement.
0: yeah. Yeah, it's a countercultural And step. I was just sure. like,
1: wow, these these are my people. I I I, I want them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so tell us about what Skinny Dippers Club it is. It is
1: like a mashup of of like an old school Facebook group. Uh it has a bit of a like regional Reddit feed. So if you get in there, you can totally find people from your area and hang out with them, which is awesome. There's a travel map that people write reviews on and add places to, but um I just added a chat feature, so you can chat with people and you can video chat. I had an hour and a half video chat today with someone in there in my own community behind a paywall. And a, sometimes a little, I'm a little astounded at, at what I've built, but um, <laughs> it's sure the I I do like eighty percent of the work on it, and then I also have um I have it's our site is run by two female feminist badass coder chicks, so. I'm really proud of that, (laughs) (laughs) and I like to say that I'm Mark Zuckerberg. So,
3: (laughs) but yeah,
1: so we just have a bunch of really cool people in there that just want to hang out with other cool nude people, and that's what it is for now. We're planning like it's a non-landed club, but we are
0: now explain what a non-landed club is for people who might not still
1: not sure.
0: Yeah, I, the way I kind of hear the way I kind of get it is and, you know, I've been in this probably for as long as you have and um, is, you know, there are landed clubs. So, so those are places, clubs that actually have a physical place. And so there's generally a pool there. There's generally some sort of clubhouse. There's generally a hot tub. Sometimes you got pickleball courts. And so. And so a landed club would be like Olive Del Ranch in Colton or Glen Eden or Mira Vista or Tiger mountain, you know, so where you are is, is technically a land, you know, that's a landed club. And so people pay dues to get in there or Dave or, you know, yearly dues or day dues or whatever. And now a non-landed club is, is a club of people that get together and want to do nudist things and, they collectively are a club but there is no place and so sometimes they will go to other places and so we'll have non-landed clubs come to tiger mountain hang out for a day or whatever and but there's no physical place and i, I think that that's, that's the only right. difference um i feel like anybody,
1: yeah it's more yeah, of a yeah yeah i feel like it's more it's of a, a community. community it seems like more of a grassroots tri- grassroots type of thing from just the ones that i've seen spring up yeah um you know, right now we're just in an online gated community. I like to talk about it that way. Um, so we are, we're definitely going to have events and, and meetups a- around the country and stuff like that when COVID's over. Um, I mean, we have so many plans, but for now, like we are, a, we are a community. We are a movement and we are a bunch of just like really cool people that don't like to wear pants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right. Sounds like
0: my kind of people. Uh, um where do you uh, where do you see that? And and we're gonna I'm I'm sure like you know there's <laughs> gonna be a future episode on non-landed clubs, and you know, would love to have you come talk about it. Um, but we're if you're thinking like three years down three the road, down the road we
1: will you? have not launched our nonprofit, which is the global Natur- naturist alliance, natural. Alliance. Um, and part of that is our podcast, Naturist Podcast.com, where we are kind of doing the recon for a year to see what naturism means to you. So um, in that, we want to put a field guide together that is what, not what I think naturism is or, you know, what Jeremy thinks it is. It's, it's what every it's different for everyone. So um, I think it would be nice to just have a book, especially for like beginners that you could hand it to and it, it won't be weird. Um. <laughs> I just um, <laughs> talking about landed clubs my I built our website out so big that we could actually Skitty Dipper's Club could actually be the hub for all non-landed clubs there we could actually host their community. So there's that opportunity. Mm. Um, we are looking for land because I realized that the way that, nudist parks are set up are probably not sustainable with how they're going but it's also something that people enjoy and i think they'd enjoy it more if it was mm-hmm. a different culture because who doesn't like going into the woods and hanging out and sitting in the sauna or going in the pool and camping i mean so <laughs> right so i think Signed i figured up. it out i think i figured out a a sustainable model that is also a franchise model um, for nude spaces. Hmm. Um, so I'm uh, super excited about that. And you know what? I never would have been able to ever think about any of these things had I never lived here. And a lot of it's because now that I understand how it's run, I understand the infrastructure, I understand the good things, the bad things, what people like, what people don't like. like. I have a 360-degree view <laughs> that I don't think most people get. Yeah. How long have people on you lived at, I uh, think a year and now? a half. So we're,
0: we're into year two. And, and so in yes. such a strange <laughs> year, uh, you know, uh, so have you both been working so, from Jeremy home? worked from
1: home in the beginning and that was a nightmare. So he actually went back to his physical office, which is fine. I got laid off at the beginning of okay. the pandemic. So I've been home alone this whole time and I'm. I've been so grateful to have this to work on because I. I would have gone nuts had I not something to do.
0: Yeah. But you. You've had yes. all this time to work naked, and.
1: Oh my god, a game changer! Been? I like keep applying for jobs, and I'm like, they want me to put pants on and go into office. I can do all of this from my bed. What <laughs> yeah it's i'm spoiled but not not only can i work naked though i can just walk out of my house and work out and like i throw a coat on and go work out like that's amazing
0: what is what is the best thing about living at a nudist park or nature
1: things chores like opinion who wants to put pants on to take the garbage out i mean that's clutch And, you know, with that, you end up seeing a neighbor who has a cup of coffee in their hand and you say, hi, that's really, it's really fucking cool to walk out of your house and have morning coffee with your neighbor or Friday night bonfire. Um, That was awesome because it's like living in a neighborhood with all of your friends and you all know, you know, party at the bonfire Friday night, except you just walk down there with your 40 and or, you know, whatever it is that you're drinking or doing. And you don't have to drive home. Yes. (laughs)
3: Um, but the other (laughs) one is
1: is definitely obviously the minute the sun comes out you can run outside and 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 be in it naked i mean it's so cute because when the sun comes out in the spring like the first sunny day i i love working from home because i can be here for the first sunny day in in spring and everyone comes out of their house i'm getting tingles talking about this everyone comes out of their house without clothes and we're all just like yeah you're naked and we're just like cheering each other on and that is not something I ever thought I would ever experience and it's one of the coolest things ever
0: yeah that sounds amazing what who doesn't know about your nudie life in your Um, life
1: everyone knows but I've 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 always been an open book so
0: yeah. You don't seem like, you know, you're going to be yeah, hiding. Well, this I mean, my youngest, people, right? just um, because
1: he's younger, I was like, and he's, he's my favorite. I'm not going to lie. But I was like, oh, what's he going to think? But yeah. Right. Uh, going to hear this. He was like, <laughs> yeah. When do I get a visit? And I was like, yes. <laughs> oh,
3: he's sixteen, So wow. I have two
0: step
1: kids. That's why they aren't living with me. But, um, yeah. yeah, he's totally intrigued. I, that kid is so smart. I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm building an empire so you can run it because your brain is so smart. You'll probably make me way go. more money than I ever would. So <laughs> and these places need to be sustainable. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> We're going to need 16 year olds. Absolutely true. Absolutely. Absolutely true. So, so most people in your world know yeah. about your nudie life. And anybody ever, as you were telling them, anybody push back, anybody like you know, drop you, ghost you, you know, kind I, you of know, back to that
1: whole like
0: concern. I hung
1: out with hairdressers my whole life, and you know, yeah, my so entire you've been life, my for a long trade school experience. Even though it was at a Lutheran private school, it was like the cheapest private school you could go to. So you know, it wasn't like we're wearing uniforms, <laughs> and it's you know, thousands of dollars, and That was super diverse. My high school was super diverse. I mean, I've just, I've really, really, really lucked out in the spaces I've been able to be in my entire life with it just being like, super relaxed and
0: Totally. What would you say, if there's a woman listening right now who, you know, maybe was in your pre nudie shoes, right? Uh, Who was somebody who's been thinking about this, maybe thinking, okay, maybe I'm going to go with my partner and we're going to go to this clothing optional place in Palm Springs. And I don't know if I'm going to take my bikini off. I don't know. We'll see. I'll be open to it, but maybe, I don't know. What would you say to her, to that woman who's thinking about this and not sure she could actually follow through with it?
1: I would say it's the best Um, thing in the entire world. If you go with someone that you trust and that will put you in a position that you feel like you belong, you feel safe, you know, you are not going to get ridiculed for taking your clothes off. And I would say that is the number one most important thing. And even going with someone that you trust doesn't always mean that you're going to avoid some of those people because they're... I don't want to say they're everywhere because they aren't, but if you go to the wrong place, the wrong people will be there and they will ruin your experience. And I don't want anyone to ever go through that because it can be mm. such a great experience. Um, which again is mm-hmm. why I'm so into this. Like I, one of my main missions is to create events where you never have to say, go with the right person to that event. Everyone knows you go to a skinny depressive event, you're taking care of like nobody has to do all this ridiculous recon to figure out if there's, you know, Trump flags there. Is there going to be something else I have to worry about? Crazy lurker older men like I, I enjoy this and have it's been such a positive experience in so many ways that I want more people to be able to experience that.
0: Got it. So. For that woman who was sitting there, you would you would say trust. try it with someone who you, you you trust, who's got your back. Yeah,
1: and go go to places where it. other females have had great experiences. So, um, you know, Loop and Lodge. I've heard nothing but good things about people's experience there. I absolutely loved my experience at the Willametteans in the Eugene in Oregon. Um, We talked about Tuscany Manor and Palm Mm -hmm. Springs. Those are three places on the West coast that I can absolutely say I had a wonderful experience at and I would go by myself. Actually, I haven't been to Lupin, but I've, I've, I've heard nothing but good things and I I know they're a good
0: place. Yeah, I haven't either. I haven't either uh, been there, but. um,
1: I think there's a lot of well-intentioned people that say, yeah, this certain place is great. But unless you are a black person in that experience, or LGBTQ, or white woman, or you know whatever have you, you could have a completely different experience there. So uh, that's the thing, I guess, as a woman to no woman, I have noticed about the nude, nudist, naturist, whatever community is that because it's predominantly written and talked about by straight white men, that's typically the perspective you'll get. So just be aware of that of who you ask about the experience.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So if, if, if somebody asks me as a straight white man, uh, you know, what, what is my experience, it's going to be different than asking you. Um, yeah. So I think that there's, there's wisdom in getting a variety of perspectives on this. Um, it's one of the things we try to do with this podcast. One of the things that, you know, I know there are a lot of bloggers who do the same sort of thing where, you know, if you're thinking about this, there are a lot of resources um, for, you know, getting a variety of perspectives on this. So um, one of the things, uh, we'll have a link to the skinny dippers club in the show notes. So go check that out, check out uh, the blog that they do and the, the podcast and
1: join us. It's uh, fun. <laughs> go check them out. And,
0: <laughs> and we're all M- Mandy, you and I were just, and oh, I love it. We're all going to make it. the world a nudier <laughs> place, right? Let's do it. Hey, thanks so much for joining us today and, and telling your perspective. And like I said, we'll, we'll probably have Let's you back. We're going to talk about non-landed clubs and and how, how cool those are. And um, But in the meantime, hey, thanks so much. And uh, wish you all the best with Good. Sydney Dippers Club. And I'll be following you guys. And, uh, you know, just keep it, <laughs> keep it going for nudism up there in the Pacific Northwest. All right. Thanks so much.
1: Awesome. That was fun.
0: Hey, Evan Nix. How's it going?
3: Hey, Scott. Doing good. How are you doing? Doing
0: okay. Um, You know, it's, it's March 2021, and I am looking forward to spending more time outside nude and uh we're we're close aren't we we're close tell me we're close
3: i think we're close I, I spend a lot of time out on my balcony but unfortunately my neighbors do not want me to do that dude yeah i learned that the hard way
0: <laughs> yeah I, that happened to me too i was out on my balcony and i thought you know it was really super private and sort of blocked everything that was needed to be blocked and i had my earphone my earbuds on and had the the. You know the the sort of sound isolating thing, so I was in my own zone, all getting mm. all warm, and uh, then I popped out my earbud and didn't realize I heard uh, a, the house next door uh, roofers were working, and uh, <laughs> they were just sort of staring at me um, and, and and laughing their heads off. So uh, and all I did was sort of you know wave <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so you. you learn the hard way, right? Yeah, sometimes you yeah. do,
3: unfortunately. Yeah, yeah,
0: but uh, hey, nothing they haven't seen before. So uh, you and I, uh, when we talk, we we often talk about sort of you know what you're reading, what you're what you're hearing, and um, we recently kind of talked about a book that you read, right?
3: Yeah, the book is called Free and Natural, Nudity and the American Cult of the Body by an author named Sarah Schrank, who's actually a professor of history at California State University, Long Beach, and um, an incredible historian that uh, wrote this wonderful book about uh, nudity and how it relates to uh, capitalism and the, the way nudity has been sort of like marketed to us um through products and, and other things so it was a really interesting read and because she's in southern california like you and i i thought she'd be a perfect person to talk to
0: and and you are the perfect person to talk to her because you really are interested in the history of nudism and you've gone deep on that with the uh, western nudist research library but also on your your twitter feed at naturist vintage and where you really share some of the history about. Um, about the nudism movement and naturism movement. And of course uh, you know you have your your deep family history with uh, with Rudy the Nudie right
3: That's right. that's right. yeah I, uh, I, I love the history end of it. Um, I have to say it was uh, I, I was struggling to keep up with somebody as intelligent as Sarah Schrank who is um, just miles ahead of me academically but you know what she was super generous. she didn't make me feel dumb and and I think we had a really great conversation.
0: Well, I loved listening to the interview. I thought, uh, you know, I certainly learned a lot and it, it opened my eyes to uh, sort of n- nudity within the culture. Um, and as you say, specifically sort of within advertising and how uh, the role that magazines played in that as well. Well, let's stop talking about it and, and let's hear your interview uh, with Sarah. Sounds like a plan. Let's do it.
3: Sarah, thank you for joining me today. Nice to talk to you.
2: Nice to talk with you too, Evan. Thank you for having me.
3: I wanted to reach out to you because I learned about your book, Free and Natural, Nudity and the American Cult of the Body. It's uh, an excellent book. I really enjoyed it. Uh, And it's sort of broadly for people listening who maybe don't know about it, it. It covers an array of topics related to nudity and consumerism. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what you're sort of thesis was for this book? Like what's the elevator pitch uh, for somebody who's interested to know more about it?
2: Um, uh, Well, thanks, Evan. It's a great question. And essentially the project started off as my interest in social movements and social movements connected to the body and trying to identify a type of body culture that maybe went around or or challenged kind of the narcissism of American consumerism and so much of the pressures that are placed on us to shape our bodies in certain ways. And so when I was thinking about this project in, in its earliest days, I kind of came across nudism that seemed to be a great example of this very thing of creating a social movement tied to the body that challenged um, contemporary mores and also tried to challenge the materialism of 20th century American society. And then as the book was unfolding, I was seeing all of these connections to contemporary wellness culture and the marketing of products that are you know, deemed authentic or natural as naked. And of course, there was really nothing naked, really about naked juice or naked jeans. And so I kind of went into it with a kind of prehistory that the social movement of nudism seemed to be trying to articulate and then the landing in American lifestyle consumerism where the body is that much more commodified. And so it produced an arc that I had to fill in the middle parts of. And that's in large part what... The book is about, um, but it's also about you know, very genuine efforts to create um, a relationship between urban human beings and a, a, some sort of notion of natural, however um, conceived or contrived that might be. So there's something very humbling I feel about the characters in my book.
3: Yeah, that's so interesting, and it's interesting to hear that it that it evolved as you learned more about it. You know, I think a lot of research tends to do that. Um, Did that happen in any other ways?
2: Yeah, absolutely, and and it it tends to happen with historical projects like this and and academic ones that you, um, I certainly threw out a very big net when this project began. Um, Over ten years ago, and I was planning to do a very big study of American body culture writ large. So, you know, nudity would be one piece, and alternative health culture would be another piece, and you know, vegetarianism would be another piece. It's it's a long time ago, but it was, but it ended up, you know, casting in that so broad um, that it was going to be unworkable as a singular um, monograph, and so I had to focus it and. With the nudity stuff, the nudism, what really compelled me was a research fellowship I had at the Wolfsonian Library, Special Collections in South Florida in um, Miami Beach. And they have um, a very good collection of nudist magazines. And I believe it's the Robert Young Collection. And so I was there for a better part of a summer. And I, you know, read through hundreds, if not a thousand, nudist magazines. And what really struck me, and these are the magazines that go back to about 1929, 1930, mm-hmm. um, all the way through the 1970s, and was was this sort of amazing effort to be unerotic, right? Not an erotic exercise, and that's kind of sustained. Although the book, my book, talks about when it can't be sustained as well. But what really intrigued me were these efforts to Um, incorporate nudist life, which was so connected to natural environments and going out into rural areas and escaping cities into people's own living spaces. And so this starts happening in the 1930s, but really comes to fruition in the 1950s. And that's when I saw this connection that was both a paradox and another form of contrast between this impulse towards natural life, the free and natural experience, and living within the confines of sort of post-World War II American um, consumer comforts and them seeming not paradoxical in the way, in in the sort of visual culture that the magazines laid out. So already that conflict was built in. And so that was really where the nudist part of my project really began. And then, of course, you end up having to research the earlier period, how social um, nudism develops in the United States. And then, of course, I wanted to follow the story through to the present day best I could. And so the consumer culture relationship was very much part of the embryonic um, conception of the project.
3: That's so interesting. And um, having read a lot of nudist magazines in my personal work with the Western Nudist Research Library, I can say that I've had that similar sort of feeling reading through those old magazines and their, their sort of uh, effort to really paint this movement as wholesome, and family focused and almost to the extent where nudity is not even the focus of it Um, but but sort of going back to that discovery of um the Architecture aspect. Um, you, you write about Richard Joseph Neutra and his uh, architecture of homes for nudists. Was that a part of that sort of embryonic idea? Is that something you discovered through research?
2: Yes, um, I did. In fact, Richard Neutra shows up in a issue of oh, I forget which nudist magazine. It's in my book. I just there's a number of them. Their titles sometimes run <laughs> run together, but Neutra sure. is interviewed by, I believe, his secretary, who was also a yogi. And so it was this kind of amazing moment when um, nudism and yoga and architecture, mid-century modern architecture all came together. And I was tipped off to that document. um, That one I was uncovered at UCLA, actually. Um, So Neutra was himself, going back to the earlier 20th century, the 1920s, very interested in the body, very interested in health, very much a kind of... Um, if not a proselytizer of Leben's reform, you know, the German sort of health culture, certainly a a proponent of it in the United States. And so early on when I was working on this project, I was really smitten with these do-it-yourself suburban nudist homes that people were buying the plans for and having additions built on or special foyers constructed or intercoms put in their homes and living in very mundane suburban places all throughout um, mostly California and Florida but in other parts of the United States as a way to live a nudist lifestyle um, without being seen. And this is like in the 1950s and early 1960s. And so what resonated with me is I had been studying mid-century architecture for some time removed from the nudist project, it reminded me of Neutra's Lovell Health House um, from 1926 um, here in Los Angeles, um, a house that was built to have as much access to the sun as possible, that had the first sort of raw foods kitchen in the United States and was constructed for Philip Lovell, the health guru um, who wrote for Los LA Times, um, primarily in the 1930s and 40s. And so I saw connections between Neutra's vision, its connection to a progressive view of um, public health and the sun, um, sort of the, the culture of health guruism in Southern California, and then this kind of trickle-down effect. Because, of course, having a Neutra house involved having the money to commission one. Um, most people are not in that um, demographic. And so the nudist magazines, with all of the plans and diagrams for how to build your own nudist home, struck me as a kind of trickle-down wellness culture that we could then trace back through um, the first few decades of the 20th century. And that absolutely blew my mind. And and that was, again, where the project really took hold as there was something novel one could talk about regarding social nudism, but how much it bumped up against um, consumer culture and broader um, an embryonic progressive culture of wellness that was already happening by the time you get to the 1920s. And of course, that has such resonance now 100 years later when we're in, you know, wellness central and it's not new.
3: I get the impression that you yourself are not a nudist. Is that right?
2: Um, I'm not a nudist. And it's interesting that you um, put it that way, because I have uh, spoken with other um, sort of leaders of the various aspects of the American nudist movement. And these are often some presume that I am because of my uh, engagement with this topic. But no, I don't organize my life around naked living, and I don't belong to any of the major nudist organizations. So I can't claim to have that identity. Because I have to give credit to those who who really who really do it.
3: Sure, sure. Um, I would I would uh, just to sort of echo what you said. You know that um, the interest sort of started for you uh, almost more along the lines of the, of the social movement, the sort of countercultural movement. Um, is is that where your interest in it ends? And what are your sort of feelings about nudism or about uh, nudity? And society's reaction to it?
2: Well, the book really tells that story, um, that the book is technically not about nudism. It's just that nudism is a very good example of the different ways nudity has played out as a social and cultural construction in the United States. And so a lot of my interest is in how body culture is tied to place. So, um, and so, what, so the book itself is organized around the different types of places where nudity is located. So we have nudist colonies, right, which are private spaces. We have nude beaches, which are usually public spaces and very fraught. Um, there are the nudist magazines and publications, which are a type of cultural textual space. Um, they are the interior spaces of these do-it-yourself um, architectural products for naked homes, and I also have a chapter specifically on um, called "Swinging Suburbs" about the sexual revolution in American suburbia in the 1970s and how that runs up against um, nudism's claim to a wholesome, to an entirely wholesome and unerotic practice, and so. The, um, I'm a, trained as an urban historian, and so I th- often think about sort of the relationship between urban culture, urban geography, the policies that eke out different types of spaces, and then how that plays out culturally. And so, so much of what has to do with nudity in the United States, whether it's good or bad, wholesome or degenerate or sexual or asexual, has to do with where that nudity is perceived. And nudists, social nudists, have had to navigate that very, very carefully. And so for me, in lots of ways, as an urban cultural historian, I've been very intrigued by how social nudists have historically had to navigate obscenity law. Publication law, um, the U.S. Postal Service, Comstock laws, and also um, things that are directly related to moderating place, such as licensing laws, etc. So when I write about Elysium, and um, in the 1960s, I mean Ed Lang's big, you know, challenge was really fighting the city and the county on issues of licensing, and because that's one of the great ways um, in American history that the forces that we have to tamp down social and cultural movements that seem to challenge the status quo is just try to license them out of existence. And you certainly see that with pornography, you see it in the sex industries and nudity and or organized nudism rather ran up against those um, same forces and had to navigate it and also separate itself from it. So I don't know if that makes sense, if that's answering your question very well, but it's like, sure. yes, I'm very interested in, the, in this sort of countercultural element, but I'm actually very interested in how it's challenged um, structural concerns within U.S. social, legal, and cultural history.
3: Yeah. Um, yeah. And Ed Lang is a, is a, excellent example of that, because as a publisher, he sort of purported to uh, represent the nudism movement and the the non-sexual sexual nature of that. And in order to, a lot of the time, publish his work, he had to really toe that line. But of course, you know, he, like many of those other publishers, were comp- competing for newsstand sales. And mm-hmm. so they they also were selling to the non-nudist market, the people that wanted to buy these magazines for specifically for their pornographic nature. Um, And because it's to a nudist, what is not pornographic might to someone who is a non-nudist be, you know, pretty prurient. A lot of it
2: has to do with the space in which it's in. And that's something that's very interesting in studying the, the, you know, the big court cases that ran through the late fifties and into the early 1960s and well, frankly, up into the 1970s which were um, in some cases driven by the nudist magazines. And and Lang won a lot of those fights, Um, but also um, driven by pornography and changing in in, in new standards culturally and understanding what obscenity meant. And of course, you know, the old standard, like you'll know it when you see it, right? And and, and again, the community standards Mm -hmm. laws that really started being articulated in the 1970s. And so, um, you know, so the effect is that, you know, you look at nudist magazines from... I don't know. You can start with the 1930s ones, and they are just so tame, right? And 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 what happened? One of the things I describe in the chapter, "Swinging Suburbs," is that the tameness and the wholesomeness of the nudist magazines, even though they had suffered so much, tr- you know, trauma through the obscenity cases that they couldn't compete with pornography. Like by the time you get to the 1970s and you have hardcore pornography for sale in adult magazines, which is where nudist magazines were then relegated because they were kicked off the regular newsstands. Nobody wanted the nudist magazines because they were just, you know, cutesy little pictures of people having picnics or taking a hike. And then meanwhile, they could actually have genuine pornography. And that was in many ways the death knell of the, you know, nudist magazine magazine. In the United States. And there, of course, have been a few that have held on, but not the original ones, and not nearly with the um, diversity of of title, right? Like, if you look at the sort of the heyday of the nudist magazines in the late 50s and early 60s, I mean, there were dozens and dozens of them, and now I think there's two. Um, And that's because it couldn't compete with um, pornography. So the sort of liberalization of print um, sexuality did not do nudism any favors, which is an interesting I f- found a very interesting irony.
3: Yeah, oh yeah, it's like kind of the great irony of these nudist magazines is that they they sort of caused their own demise, but they obviously opened up the market. And Ed Lang was like you said, one of the big ones. But even before that, Ilsley Boone, who was the mm-hmm. publisher of Sunshine and Health, he had a similar sort of court case win that these opened up the, the market to so many other titles. And the ones that have survived the two that you mentioned are primarily they've existed because they're not competing for newsstand sales. They go out as a member benefit for these organizations by and large.
2: Th- that's right. Um, that's right. And um, a lot of the magazines also, because I've been asked about this before, were by subscription, even in, in the early days. And mm-hmm. uh, what's fascinating is that the number of subscribers to The Nudist, for example, as well as Sunshine and Health, those numbers are always larger than the rosters of people who are belonging to the nudist clubs. And so the sort of the conclusion that historians sometimes draw is that there were people who are very interested in those who weren't actually nudists. So again, okay. you're right, like built into nudism's success and winning obscenity cases opened up the doors to the pornography industry in a new way that then led to the nudist magazine's demise. And again, that's tied to capitalism, right? That's tied to the marketplace. And so uh-huh. that's, again, one of the ways that I find the study of this culture so fascinating because of the very effort to circumvent um consumer capitalism it ends up also being eaten by it and it's um it, i mean i can't and it's unfi- seems unfixable
3: <laughs> yeah yeah it's sort of in the nature of the beast yeah you know? but you know it's interesting too because while those magazines were certainly i think selling to a market of people that weren't necessarily interested in the article so to speak they certainly acted as uh you know, and in for some of those people, and and I think probably converted some people to the nudist way of life. So they effectively, you know, marketed nudism to non-nudists. I think as well.
2: Absolutely. Oh, and beautifully. And I, I mean, those some of those magazines are just so enticing, and they're full of so much information that's about, um, you know, civil rights. You know, and a lot of things that were being battled out on. Um, on the American political landscape kind of took shape within those magazines as well. So if you read the 30s ones, a lot of conversations about fascism and what's happening in Europe. Um, You read the magazines from the 1940s. It's discussing the war and what's going to happen after the war and how do we maintain our practice. Um, In the 50s, you know, it's Cold War culture. And in the 60s, it's civil rights and, you know, a real push to desegregate Um, the nudist colonies and nudist camps and real important conversations about that. So there are definitely several chapters in in my book, free and natural, which discusses race and that, you know, this was an issue out of the gate because you're talking about the body, right? You're talking about the markers of the vessel that one travels in through their entire life and gender, race, social class, um, ability, disability are all going to be part of those sort of markers. And, The organized nudism in the United States had to grapple with that stuff as much as anybody else did. And I thought that some of those conversations were absolutely fascinating because they were really having to do it literally in the raw. Like, you can't, it's undeniable when you're talking about nudism, right? You're not wearing any clothes. There's nothing to cover any of this up. So, what does that mean in these different contexts? And so, those magazines, yeah, I think they did sell nudism, I think, very authentically as a complicated Sikh culture and one that did give people a sense of belonging, but it also could feel exclusionary. And certainly in the early days, when you look at those old magazines, you know, they had some stuff that was very pro-eugenics. That was very troubling. And it was troubling for a lot of their readers. That's the thing. There was never one party line on any of these issues. And that's something else I found very intriguing, Um, About it as a social movement, a complicated one that's long-lasting with a diverse membership.
3: Yeah, I actually really loved that about your book because having read many books that sort of detail the history of nudism, so many leave out the fact that it is so racially homogenous, and they leave out those sort of discussions of eugenics that were, to your point, a part of the early philosophical idea behind, you know, uh, free corporate culture and 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 nudism as it was talked about by folks like maurice parmalee Mm -hmm. um, who i know was mentioned in your book Um, your book also mentioned um, ej samuels who was in the 1940s the first sort of outspoken black nudist Mm -hmm. uh, who discussed race and segregation in the organizations and in the the nudist clubs um was he somebody that you were able to find much information on?
2: To be honest, I mean, I, I do write about E.J. Samuels and I did find some primary material on him um, because he was he stands out so much in those post world immediate post world War two magazines because he's this very clear voice advocating for Black nudism, and he really stood his ground. And also the magazine kept publishing his letters, which is also interesting. Um, But another historian of nudism, Brian Hoffman, has also written about E.J. Samuels, and I found Hoffman's work to be helpful. And um, there are Black nudists, and and they are archiving their history. And so E.J. Samuels shows up there in some online archives, which I believe I've, you know, earmarked in the, uh, mentioned or cited in the book, although I'm not Calling them off the top of my head, I found he was fascinating, um, because he was kind of running experiments, like he and his wife would go to clubs and see how they were treated. And most of the time, he felt he was treated very well. The problem is they were the only black nudists there, and that was not something he thought should be could could be or should be sustained. And um, he also made connections to capitalism because one of the arguments. For not, for maintaining segregation, was that, well, African Americans can just go form their own camps, right? It's this whole really horrifying, you know, separate but equal stuff coming back into the dialogue in the middle of the 20th century. And um, Samuel's like, well, that's all fine and good, but we can't, there's not enough African American, there's not enough African American nudists to, to do that. We can't have our own magazine and have our own clubs. Like, it would be too small. So we need to be, part of this broader culture and then he tapped into the sort of progressive views coming out of world war ii that we just defeated fascism that we were the deacons of democracy in the world presumably how can we have you know jim crow in the south and how can we have this type of segregation in california which is largely where he was experiencing it we need to we need to end this. And then, you know, to its credit, Sunshine and Health would publish the letters that responded to Samuel's plea. And many of them were GIs, white and of color saying, yes, we must desegregate. So I found tracking that conversation through the magazines to be incredibly um, rich and fulfilling because it's it's. It, it it was what was happening in the country, but in a microcosm for a very specific culture. And I think we're just historically very lucky to have had E.J. Samuels around to, to lead that charge because he was very, very articulate about it. And I think very brave. I mean, to think that in 1948, an African-American with his African-American wife would go to a white nudist camp naked, right? And sort of test out the racial waters. That's very brave. Samuels is, is a really fascinating character and I would love if someone wanted to write more about him and dig up more about him.
3: So I'm kind of curious uh, a little bit more about that. What's your research process like uh, and how did you research this book?
2: A <laughs> uh, big question. And so I guess I'll just tell you the story. I'll try and make it you know sweet and short. My first book was about... Modernism and public art controversies in Los Angeles. And so that was what I had done my doctoral work on. And it was my first book, and it came out in 2009. And so I'd spent, you know, a good, at that point, 10, 12 years of my life thinking about what civic identity and the civic imagination of Southern California meant. And when the book was wrapping up and going to press and I was starting to think about what my next project would be, the question I was asking myself, like, do people just internationally, when they think of Los Angeles or Southern California, are they thinking about art? And I thought, I don't really think that they are. I think people think about the body. They think about movie star bodies. They think about celebrity bodies. They might think about dead bodies. There's a whole gruesome sort of fascination with death here. Um, That goes, that's a whole other, we can have a whole other podcast about that. Um, Immigrant bodies, you know, whatever. It's just, you know, it's it's a major media center and it's a place where body culture has been very vibrant for a long time. So I thought, no, no, I think it's about what people look like. And so I thought, could I write a book about sort of body culture in Southern California? And then ultimately I thought I could, but it'd be to me a boring book because I felt like I could answer the question fairly quickly that a lot of the body culture's origins here, um, have to do with frontier culture. Have to do, has a lot to do with German and Chinese immigration and the importation from two different parts of the world of different types of health modalities. Those got integrated by the middle to late 19th century. So this area was already a signifier of body culture and health and wellness long before Hollywood. And then when you get Hollywood, then you get the you know big projection. Globally, of a certain type of image. So, to me, I thought I could answer my question. So, I didn't really feel like writing that book. But then, the question, though, about body culture and like where do we fit it into American materialism? How do you take the objectification of the body and then challenge it in a sustained way? Is it possible? And so, that was when I was interested in like the countercultural elements of body culture, alternative health movements. And then that's when I stumbled into the nudist stuff. So that's kind of how that project it actually came from a very specific question, got really big, and then came back in again. And then my research process is that of many historians, is that you read a lot, you read as much as you can of the secondary literature. And at the time I still wasn't really working on nudism. I was working on body culture. So American fitness culture, origins and alternative health culture, mid-century architecture as ties to progressivism and you name it. And then I um, had a sabbatical and got to work at the Huntington library, got to work at the Wolfsonian in South Florida. I did, um, I went to some other archives, Palm Springs, Palm Desert have stuff also. And I just dug up all this primary material that was spatially based. I was interested in like what the desert has to do with the story. What does the city have to do with the story? Um, but then the real deal came when a, I found the nudist magazines, right? Cause they're so rich. And when I encountered the Southern California Naturist Association and um, Rolf and Gary, who, um, Reached out to me, and me to them. It was sort of a syncopated exchange if memory serves, sure. and they have all the Elysium. They have many of these Elysium documents. Very generous and very trusting of me um, to let me to use them. Um, I mean, and that was a very important moment. So I got to you know use Nudist's own private collection of material, as well as stuff that was housed in some of her major research libraries. And that's how I ended up not using your library because actually I was going to and it was closed. It was closed for a patch of time right when I was in the thick of getting the stuff together. And um, at, at that point, I it just got kind of overlooked. So-
3: it's a silly question, but uh, certainly related to capitalism and the body, your book, which I have here, um, has nudity on it. Was it, this a consideration uh, in terms of boosting sales did your publishers warn you against it for any reason what what was that a thought that entered your mind
1: oh
2: this is a um (laughs) the story (laughs) of that cover is quite a story right? Because, um, that's a, it's a Gerald Davis photograph. It's an art photograph, um, by a marvelous uh, photographer who's now deceased and his daughter who oversees the estate, um, was very, very generous in letting me use the photograph. Um, I actually did not choose that picture. I mean, the picture is, is, it's reproduced in the, in the, the monographs. I discuss it, um, and discuss him, but the, um, the design team at Penn, you know, University of Pennsylvania Press who published my book, they're the ones who chose it for the cover. And of course, I was thrilled. I'm like, uh, yes, I thought we would put, I was expecting to put like a 1940 sunshine health jacket on it, like something that looked kind of campy, you know, and, sure. and maybe, you know, but not particularly racy. And then they went with this and I was thrilled, thrilled, thrilled. And then, um, there were people in, at Penn who had some second thoughts and then we were, discuss going with something else. And I just kind of stood my ground and said, "That's that picture captures this entire story because there seems to be nothing free and natural about this couple, right? Kind of awkwardly perched on their suburban Florida sofa, right? <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, there's something so just who cares? Like we're just doing our thing. I'm going to watch TV. And, and so, and you know, they're looking away from the photographer. And so it it is that free and natural thing in this really, um, peculiar disconnected type of environment. However, I will tell you Amazon initially said they would not sell my book because of the jacket that they would always think they they, they were going to censor the jacket on Amazon. And I, couldn't believe it because, I mean, Amazon sells pornography. And I was like, hey, you sell actual pornography. This is a book about nudity and nudism. It's an monograph published by an Ivy League press. And there's not really much to see. It's, it's more implied. You do see someone's breasts. but And um, Penn, to its great credit, fought them on that. And so Amazon reluctantly sold, sells, and continues to sell my book without um, blocking out putting pasties on the
3: yeah,
2: on it, but it was a fight. It was a fight, and strange. And it's just, I guess, and it's, I, I can't. I was I, when it was happening. I was like, I can't believe I'm living the experience of my historical subjects.
3: <laughs> right, right. Well, there's capitalism for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, this is sort of a stock question, but what do you want people to take away from your book?
2: It's a great question. And it's one that my answer probably changes whenever I'm asked it. I think that there's something really humbling about people who organize themselves to try to live a certain way that's gentle and beyond the bounds of what are considered the normal mores dictated by society or religion or the state at any given time. And to try to sustain it. I mean, really, it's been sustaining the United States for about 100, almost 100 years at this point to have mm-hmm. recorded it so diligently um, and that it has resonance now like millennials and increasingly Generation Z's who encounter my work are flabbergasted by flabbergasted that there could be a culture that was about nakedness, like about all of the bodily parts and not and it's not just about hookups and sex. they can't they just they, they literally can't believe it. And so I'm like, you, you have to believe it. you have to believe that there's a way people can envision themselves living beyond um, perhaps erotic charge, but also beyond the pressures to conform and and to do so with a I think a lot of sense of humor like news are very funny people, like a lot of humor about it and mm-hmm. glee and um joy. And if that you can get from my book, despite the fact my book tells a sad tale like I mean it tells a sale tells a tale of appropriation, it tells a tale of you know it points exploitation, but it's also telling a tale of like just the sustained, Social movement in a culture that doesn't always really reward that very much. And it's been, and so, and it keeps going and it keeps changing and evolving, growing and shrinking, right? You know, the, one of the great fears in American nudist, nudism about 20 years ago was that it was just going to die off, right? That, that between the sexual revolution, AIDS, um, um, new gay politics, that nudism was just going to be this kind of weird. Relic of another time. And it has actually seemed to be surging back um, with people such as yourself who maybe are you're generationally removed from relatives who are part of it. I think that this need to do exactly what nudists were doing in the early 20th century and now wanting to do in the 21st century, which is to um shape a sense of self that maybe is removed from the culture of Instagram and the pressures to be part of. A very curated, perfected self. Now, there are intersections, right? There's nudist youngsters who go on Instagram with their beautifulness, and it's like completely, you know, it's like the point's been missed. But that other aspect is still there. And that's just the story of the whole thing. It's like constantly running up against those mores, which ebb and flow with the political climate, with where we are vis a vis religious culture. Um, with changing attitudes about sexuality, which are always ebbing and flowing, um, attitudes about the body change. and so there's a beauty in that. There's a yeah. beauty in that sustained movement forward, and uh, you know, long may it continue.
3: God, I feel like we could talk about that. We could do a whole other podcast about that. But um, but I relate to that so much because I am an elder millennial. I think you picked up on that. Uh, and I and I do see that, you know, there is this sort of, on the one hand, this very like selfie driven, yeah, like uh, very image forward culture, particularly on social media. But I also see a lot of um, people embracing ideas of body acceptance and and using nudity to fight against that specifically on Instagram and on social media. And there's also all these other aspects of censorship on social media and how they really silence, you know, the the most innocuous nudist posts and yet have, you know, find it acceptable to to post highly sexualized images.
2: Within our contemporary sort of neoliberal globalized world, sexuality that can be tied to consumerism is almost acceptable in any form so it can be the most violent type of sexuality it can be you know things that maybe we i think culturally might actually find troubling or just sexist like just exploitative of women or homophobic or just not nice in for many reasons but if it's somehow tied to the marketing of products or like hotness right that's we seem to have an endless tolerance for it. And, 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 and challenging it is, very, is actually becoming increasingly difficult and it's having a really devastating effect on younger and younger girls and boys whose sexual identities are tied to the image of themselves mediated through social media and other things and without education about what sex actually might be. And yet that we let live and fester Um, meanwhile, sexuality that can be very open and freewheeling and, you know, not tied to marketing oneself, but is just tied to what people just kind of want to do. It's not really anybody else's business. That's harder to sustain. And the fact, and this was a conversation people were having around sexuality in the early 20th century, right around the time that nudism began. And the fact that we're still having it, I'm not sure is really a progressive (laughs) narrative
3: because we didn't
2: get as far as we would like. But I think that's partially what the appeal of nudism is to um, people, certainly much younger than I am, that they didn't get to inherit sort of the '70s like I did. <laughs> they had to, they had to live through other things, and so now this idea that you could have a culture that maybe makes you feel a little sexy, but it isn't necessarily about selling your sexiness, is has a lot of appeal, and. Um, I have students, you know, who read my book in in American history classes and are, like I said, absolutely blown away that there is a world where um, sex and the body can kind of be separated out in a way that seems healthful, healthy. Not like the body is somehow some sacrosanct thing that we must never touch, but that it's something, it can be something else and can be politicized in a way that's not monetized and They're very clever about those things. They feel it very powerfully. I mean, they feel they're for sale and they hate it and they want to shed it, but they feel susceptible to it. And so this world to them is very liberating.
3: Wow, that's so cool. Um, You you teach, correct? Yes. What do you teach history?
2: Yes. I am I'm a professor of history um, at Cal State Long Beach.
3: Yeah, usually this is the first question somebody asks. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. No,
2: I just, I wandered off the street one day and just decided to do a new project.
3: Are you working on anything else? Or are you, what's, what's next?
2: Oh, that's a touchy subject. No, it's a, it's a great <laughs> project. I'm actually, um, I am working on the very early stages of a new book on the american wellness movement so what's happening is it's you know it's what happened when i finished this book and it's the book isn't i mean the book is done the story of American my story of the american nudist movement is, is is done i think it's sure. not it's not complete it's there could be other people to write other parts of this but i what i had to say i think is done but it opened up so many other questions about what these other aspects of alternative body culture are so Alternative diets, alternative health, um, the sort of the history of esotericism in the body. Um, and all of this really ties in very much with our contemporary moment that everyone thinks is so California, like people being into tarot cards or you know, <laughs> um, astrology or raw foodism. And I'm like, oh, people, you have no idea. This is not unique to California and it's not new. It is older than it is. Um, it goes further back. And I'd like to tell that tale. And um, so I think uh, that's what we're going to be doing for the next, that'll probably take me to retirement, that one. It's going to be a big book, but <coughs> looking forward to it.
3: Ah, uh, Me too. Um, I guess uh, for the conscientious consumer who wants to uh, buy your book, but doesn't want to give their money to Jeff Bezos, uh, is there a place they could buy their book to support you? What?
2: Absolutely. Um, and please do not order it from Amazon because Amazon, um, you know, Try to block my, (laughs) Try to block its sales. So I'm perfectly happy to buy it. You can buy it from the University of Pennsylvania website. Um, They, so, you know, that's a major university press. You can order it straight from them. Um, You can also order it from bookshop.org. So that's a great, because that supports local um, bookstores. Um, It's available at Barnes & Noble. It's available at ABE Books. Um, Pretty much every outlet that sells books sells this one. Um, and of course, you know, you can relent and buy it from Amazon if you feel, um, compelled to.
3: Great. Um, anything else you'd like to add?
2: Um, just that I'm delighted that, um, you invited me to speak with you today. This has been really a lot of fun. I hope, uh, I hope I answered your questions. Okay.
3: Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. I thought it was really, really enlightening and really cool.
0: For Nude in the News today, we're reading an article that appeared on Medium.com on February 22, 2021, by Carrie Ann Johnson, titled, My Parents are Nudists, Learning About Body Confidence, Living in a Nudist Community. And I'm just going to go ahead and read the article, but I do encourage you to check it out. This last summer, this crazy COVID summer of 2020, I lived with my parents in a nudist community deep in the mountains of the Pacific Northwest. I learned about body positivity and freedom in a ways I hadn't expected. My parents came out to me as nudists seven years ago. My siblings and I knew something was up when they seemed to have a lot of new friends and always had plans on the weekends. My stepbrother mistakenly thought they were swingers, but lately we figured out they were nudists. My aging parents had found a community of like-minded folks and spent a lot of time at the resort. They were happy, and it had nothing to do with... Us kids or grandkids, I was a little confused, but happy for them. Since then, they have built a house in the nudist community, and I have visited them several times. This year, due to moving back to the States and COVID, I found myself living on their property in the nudist community. My daughters and I lived in their fifth wheel camping trailer beside their house for the better part of a summer. My parents are nudists, but they are not nudists around kids or me. It's my dad. Gross. My teen is unfazed by our new neighborhood. She is half Italian and had visited nude beaches and spas with her Italian family during European vacations. And my three-year-old spends much of her day half-dressed regardless of where we live. Like most toddlers, she loves to be naked and wild. We didn't go to the resort much, but bare-bum activity isn't confined to the resort. We often saw our neighbors mowing lawns, riding bikes, going for walks, and one time using a chainsaw in their birthday suits. I can't stress enough non-sexual the community is it's just a respectful set a setup in a beautiful part of the country with a deep pink suns with deep pink sunsets and spotted deer tiptoeing around the pine forests it was a great place to quarantine during the COVID summer and we adjusted as we readjusted to life in the US the nudist community is made up about up of about 20 houses spread out on a beautiful patch of fertile land each house has a few acres with some common wildlife areas that belong to the community. It is a gated community, and inside the gate, past all the houses at the end of the road, there is a family-run nudist resort. This popular nudist resort looks like any other campground. There is a lodge, RV spots, pools, one indoor, one outdoor, campsites, and many hiking trails to explore. The only thing that sets it apart is that the people are walking around en naturel. This resort is a popular place in the summer and often full. There are outdoor concerts, festivals, and fun runs. But this COVID summer, it was quieter than usual. I met many of their neighbors over the summer who are, of course, nudists and got to know a few of them. They shared stories about how the community has grown and changed. Out here, everyone knows each other and gets along. They celebrate milestones and have potlucks for every occasion. They tell me stories about wild Christmas parties past and Halloween hijinks. Everyone has a story about almost getting arrested for nudity. The neighbors are funny and warm and smile uh, and with broad smiles and bare bums. I wanted to learn more. I was curious about why people chose this lifestyle, so I invited a few members over for a socially distanced summer happy hour. About six of them came, all couples. They let me ask them questions and told their stories. I promised no pictures or names, just their stories. I was surprised to learn that nudism had zero to do with sexuality. And instead I learned it was about freedom, acceptance, and confidence. The community members come from a wide variety of backgrounds from engineering to nurses, to Navy pilots. They were open to my questions and told me their stories about how they get involved in the community. Their stories were similar, married couples looking for something, but not sure exactly what. The three wives I talked to all said the same thing. They were not interested, but decided to be open-minded. In one case, her husband took her on a surprised weekend trip, and she didn't know it was to a nudist resort until they got there. She was angry, but decided to do the quick tour anyway. She didn't want to be rude, and by the time the tour finished, she stripped down and never looked back. Another woman said she wishes she had known the freedom and acceptance of a nudist community earlier. She and her husband joined the nudist community in their late 30s. The third couple came from a hippie background and already embraced nudity as a lifestyle. This couple started a local chapter of their nudist group in in the mid-90s and quickly engineered this new housing situation association. All the couples who live here are now retired, but They struggled to keep their lifestyle secret when they were working. One man, a neonatal nurse, was outed by a nasty coworker and instead of letting it get him down, he opened up a dialogue and gave out pamphlets to his coworkers. He kept his head high despite Snickers. He said many of his colleagues came up to him later in private with questions and curiosities about the lifestyle. A common theme that everyone talks about is acceptance of this lifestyle. I heard over and over again, over and over again, that feeling accepted, this that feeling accepted is a huge draw. It doesn't matter who you are. There are no pretenses or social economic hierarchies when it comes to socializing in the buff. The grown children of the community members have varying levels of acceptance. Some are like me and oh, some are like me and open to it and happy to see their parents living their best life in a thriving community but many barely tolerate it only visiting on special occasions with strict rules about when grandkids can visit one son of a member is a born-again christian and refuses to set foot inside the gate of the community due to its the community's devilish ways we talked about common misconceptions the most prevalent one is the idea that nudists are overly sexual predators We are not swingers or sexual predators, said a retired Navy pilot who looks like Hemingway's Hemingway's taller, older brother. So much so that his wife tells me that tourists often stop them and ask for photos when they are wintering in Florida. He explains that that nudism is not connected to social perversion. It's about freedom and acceptance. Granted, it is common misconception because there are nudist resorts that cater to different sexual appetites. These adults-only resorts are much different from the family friendly ones that this community, uh, like this community, which are a part of the American Association for Nude Recreation or ANR. This resorting community, like many others throughout the U S is focused on a family friendly atmosphere. There are specific strictly enforced rules when entering these rules are designed to keep the community safe and keep predators. As one woman says, looky lose," out. One question that comes up repeatedly, pun intended, is what to do if a man gets aroused? It is a pretty simple answer. Everyone has their own towel, and they always have to, they always have to cover up when needed. A pers- the personal towel policy also functions as a way to keep shared spaces clean and sanitary. Many in the small community out here would love to see it grow and get new, see new members, but it has been a little slow lately. COVID and social distancing have taken a bit of a toll. But the members are optimistic. Hemingway's older brother, tells me that most of his friends, most of the friends he's spoken to about it are interested, but said they can't until they lose some weight. He finds this attitude frustrating because it's not about body shape or size. It's about freedom and being together. He encourages people of all shapes and sizes to visit a nudist community, Another neighbor chimed in, there is no judgment. It's about being your authentic self. Everyone is welcome here. The group shares stories about other friends and members who have had double mastectomies or have, had, or have physical disabilities. Their friends have shared that this community is the first time they have felt normal. We had a good conversation, and I learned about, learned more about why people choose to live their lives au naturel. And, I mean, I get it. I am a bit of a nudist myself, but in my own homes, not socializing with strangers, but I get it. There's no judgment from me. Be kind. Don't hurt others. And if you want to weed your garden in your garden gloves and nothing else, do it. If you want to ride your bike around the neighborhood with a bike helmet and nothing else, fine. If you want to start a chainsaw and work boots and nothing else, well, have fun and I'll call the ambulance if you need it. We all want to be free. Some of us feel the seduction of freedom while speeding down the highway on a motorcycle. Others, by dancing on tabletops. But for some, all it takes is to remove every stitch and be who they are. That's true freedom and genuine honesty, and I can get behind that. You might want to check that article out. Uh, There are links to it in the show notes. And uh, I have to say, I couldn't agree more. Well, that's it for today's show. Thanks to Evan Nix and Sarah Schrank for coming on this uh, podcast today to talk about free and natural. There is a link to it in the show notes. So check it out. Uh, It's where you can learn more about the book and to buy it if you're interested. Thanks also to Mandy Zelenka for sharing her thoughts today. A link to Skinny Dippers Club is also in the show notes. I'm going to ask that you subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to it on. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever. We have more episodes to come. And please do reach out and tell me what you think about this show. Um, And if you're relatively new to nudism and are you're willing to share your story on this podcast, I do want to hear from you. You can reach me at nudistpodcast at gmail.com. I'm going to leave you today with a quote from none other than the great Celine Dion. I wish we were all naked all the time. I have always believed it is what's underneath that counts. If we were all forced to be naked, perhaps we would start to see that a little bit more. I'm Scott Klein. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you have a great naked day.